Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Today on the podcast, we are joined by a dear friend of the show, a man who was the passenger in a horrific automobile accident that took his left leg and cost the life of a good friend. We are truly honored to have him come share his story. Coming up next on the Spent the Rent podcast, Road to Recovery and Prosthetics, with Dan Silva. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a dear friend of the show, Dan Silva. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you doing this. This is a really tough topic to cover, and I'm really honored that you're here to share your story, and it's a pretty heavy one, so everyone listening, you might want to sit down for this one. For so, sure. So, a uh, little backstory about how we know each other. We kind of grew up together. Well, we, we went to high school together, went to South Eugene High School, and I had transferred there uh, my junior year, and I met you pretty early on, and we hit it off, and you were ornery as hell. Always. And uh, so, you know, here we are 20 years later. It's kind of hard to believe. But uh, your brother had been a regular in the barber shop, and, and he, it's interesting because he had, he, he was getting his hair cut by George, your brother Nate, and I was kind of eavesdropping on their conversation because yeah. they're always awesome. Seemed to create a good relationship there. Yeah. And he just kind of was saying, you know, I didn't know him. I, from, you know, I had never met him before him coming into the shop. And he uh, just said, you know, my brother was in this horrible accident and he's in a coma and it was really tragic. And then I started piecing it together. It was a little bit after that I had found out, but uh, some mutual friends, Lionel had posted some stuff. I was like, oh, my buddy tagged you on Facebook. And I was like, wait, what? And then I put it all together and Mm -hmm. pretty heartbreaking, you know, and we had lost touch. We hadn't talked a lot, you know, over the years, but. So I'm glad you're here and we'll get into it. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we just mentioned that you were a student at South, you know, you grew up at South and then probably Lane and all that good stuff. Uh, but you worked in the restaurant business? Yeah, I worked in the restaurant business um, for about 23 years. Still here, there doing some bartending. 16 years bartending, 12 years cooking. So. And then some odd jobs and always in, yeah. Eugene, always in Eugene. I was an electrical technician for seven years. So I did custom home theaters, smart systems, full custom security, basically anything you could think of we'd, we would do. I did David Minor Theater, the oh, first wow. theater. Yeah. Um, on what, some like 14, 15 years ago. Right. And uh, that was a good was a good one. So then uh, this accident happened, what now, two years ago? Yeah. Two years. Uh, so just, just let's just get right into it. Just tell us what happened or what you yeah, were. Yeah, so 2018, you, you know, it's a day of sunshine, hanging out with some friends, uh, August 2017. Okay, so summer. Yes. And um, like I said, from being in a coma, I don't really remember. 
right. anything besides a really tragic uh, moment, um, which was not to get into too much, but burning under a car that had rolled on top of me. I was stuck there. Gas tank had exploded on my body, which is obviously very unfortunate. Said my goodbyes to my family, friends, wow. my daughter right there. And then I woke up three months later. Well, it was two months and 27 days later um, out of a coma. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine what your family had, had gone through. And we talked a little bit on the way over here, uh, you know, because I went and picked you up that, uh, you know, you, like you just said, you don't, you don't remember it. Like that was your last memory was, was basically yeah. just. I came life. to, I thought I was in a red convertible car because the, the fire was so bright that the silver car that we were in looked red to me. So it was one car accident or multiple car? Uh, just one. One car, accident, one car accident. And you guys were on a country road. and Yeah, and the investigators said it there might have had something to do with a, an animal, a bear, a deer. Right. But nobody nobody knows. It's uh, And unfortunately, you know, you were not the only... There was a passenger in the car, and yeah. uh, he, he lost his life. Dear, and, dear friend of mine. And we're going to get into that a little bit later about, you know, just the whole... I mean, I called this episode The Road to Recovery and Prosthetics because you did lose your leg. And have the road to recovery is more of a metaphor on everything in that encompasses because mm-hmm. you had to try to walk again, learn to walk again. Everything I was paralyzed. Yeah. So speak, walk, talk, breathe. Wow. So what was the first step out of the coma? What was your first thought when you when you came to? Well, I'm in a rough situation here. This is not good. Right. I've also from bartending for years I've had some some people come in that were in wheelchairs that were disgruntled. And I, right then and there, for some weird reason, that memory came to my head that I don't want to be one of those people that rolls around and is upset at life or what happened. I wanted people to see a smile, you know, and, and have you have to create that before you believe in it. Right. And that's really selfless because that's not just about you. That's about what you project. I, I mean, a lot of times when you see people that look angry and stuff, they might just be in pain. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. A lot of it, it's not... Or and angry that, at themselves or at sure. something else. So, yeah. I mean, what comes across as bitter and whatnot is is literally grimacing, yeah. you know? So that's a little different story. But uh, so early on, the doctors were basically telling you, like, yeah, you'll never walk again. Yeah, well, in the beginning, too, I had about an 8% chance to live. To live. To yeah. live, yeah. And, and you wanted to talk a little bit more in detail on that about, they call you, what is it, the triple they threat? They call me the, <laughs> I like that one, the triple miracle. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I always like to preference that, not to look up like, oh, I'm this big, strong person, and it, I'm so cool because of this miracle. I, I want people to know, too, that, you know, I was in a coma for most of it. You know, and the reason why they do call me that is because I lived through ARDS, which is the Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. It's a type of respiratory failure that's uh, characterized by a rapid onset of widespread inflammation in your lungs. Right. You know, and a lot of the simple symptoms of that include, like, a shortness of breath, rapid breathing, um, and a bluish skin coloration. And among those people who have who have survived, which very few, have a decreased quality of life, and it's uh, relatively very common for that. Right, because, you know, we're going to reiterate some of this, but because you were engulfed in, in yeah, the gas tank. Explain that a little more. Yeah, so at first, you know, I was just stuck under the vehicle, and I couldn't get out. And I, you know, tried my hardest. I'm a pretty strong guy at the moment. And then I realized, you know, I don't give up. But there was this defeat that was happening, and I was slowly catching on fire. And then the gas tank exploded all over my body. And oh, my gosh. Went from that to, uh, you know, trying to create some noise so maybe possibly somebody could hear me. And you guys are out there. so. And we were out there. Yeah. There was one house that was, you know, probably 
150 yards away from that spot. And a lovely lady must have heard me. So when the doctors told you, I mean, when you came out of the coma, it was still, you weren't out of the woods as far as losing your life. Right. And not at all. And they had told you, you know, your percentages and that kind of stuff. What Mm -hmm. was your, what was your thought? Like, no, that's not. Well, that was the thing too. I was paralyzed. They didn't think I could hear, speak, you know, like obviously I couldn't speak, but they didn't understand that I could compute. They were talking about this 30% of my brain that might still be there because of being through the coma, going through ECMO, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah, so there wasn't really a hope. It was like, how can we prolong this kind of, you know, the coronary um, doctors coming in and trying to speak to my family, which they were just like, no, not going to happen. You got to be telling yourself, you're like, I can understand, like that you knew you were computing it. So you knew that what they were saying was probably not right. That you couldn't process it, but of course you're going to trust them because it's a doctor. For know? sure. And going into the hospital, you always think, you know, these are doctors and, you know, they're going to save your life or whatever it is. You got to believe that. Well, a doctor's practicing. Yeah. They're practicing absolutely. there. And so, you know, I learned a lot by laying there and understanding, especially since I couldn't speak and I could understand everything they were saying and they didn't know I could. But to understand, you know, a lot of the time that what they were saying wasn't going to work. Or I knew in my heart that, you know, that's not true. Sure. Or, you know, I'm, I still have this fight and the will to live that, you know, this picture on the wall of my daughter who's creating this will that I knew I, I never had. Right. Yeah. Well, and also they're human beings. So yeah. the, the task at hand, there's a lot of defense mechanisms. Everybody that, makes that, mistakes. That, well, that, and then there's things that kick in where they themselves are preparing themselves for the worst because yeah. they've seen it, you know. Oh, yeah. And they and, made a lot of mistakes, but they also saved my life. I mean, you're here today, you know. Exactly. So uh, once it once your health started to improve, as far as you know, it shows signs that you were going to be able to pull through this. And then they started telling you that you weren't going to walk again. What did that? Did you prepare yourself for life in that way, um, or were you basically just like, no, no, I'm doing it? Yeah, I I don't have that give up. You know, and if someone tells me I can't do something, well, now I have to do it. You know, and especially for my daughter, for my family that just went through all this horrific and hardcore gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching situations, you know, not to prove to myself, but to just show my family how how much I cared about what they had to go through. Right. You Is know, that where you got the motivation? Yeah, and you it's just at- like that that strength, that inner strength, you know, that you don't believe that you have, but in a certain situation. How you- long until... How long through the process did it take? Because your daughter's very young. Yeah, she was, you know, she was... Just turned three um, right after the accident. She's four years old now. Yeah. So how long in the process did it take before she was seeing you? Was she seeing She you? wasn't able to see me until I was in the physical therapy hospital at Rio. Wow. Which was four, a little over four and a half months. And so at that point, it's daddy's sick mm-hmm. and daddy will get better. Or, you know, that's the hardest thing because yeah. one day you're gone, you know, and everybody's shock and numb emotion to her. At three years old, you may be three, but you know, oh, yeah. you know things. And when she's just a, ahead of her, her years as well. Everyone says that your kid, oh, yeah. your kid's average. No, <laughs> no, no. I've seen, yeah, yeah. I've seen the videos that you post, and she is a bright one. There's yeah. no question. Very lucky. Yeah, and the relationship she has with your brother is incredible. Oh yeah, and you guys have a really strong family bond, and that's I'm sure that that that's something that pushed you through. You know that that had to have been motivation. One hundred percent. So what, I mean, what, tell us about that process. Uh, I mean, they told you you're not going to walk again and you're like, nope. And then h- what happened? I mean, how is that? How did that start? You start doing PT. Yeah. So I started doing physical, ther- um, physical therapy 
And basically, the people that I'm working out with are telling me, you know, when I'm telling them, well, eventually I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And they're kind of laughing. They're like, you know, you know, there's no way. Like, there's no absolute way you're going to be doing this. Which, you know, even after I left and once I was able to get into a prosthetic, I went back to the physical therapy hospital and to the woman that told me I would never walk. And I walked in and, and she was pregnant at the time when I was in there. And so now she's had her baby and she's helping somebody else out. And I walked up and tapped her on the shoulder. And I said, hey, you remember me? And I said, I told you I'd be walking. And she was just blown away. Just ornery as ever. No, right. Exactly. And then I, I kind of glossed over this, but you wanted to talk a little bit more about, uh, you mentioned the, the triple miracle part. Yeah. There was a part where three, three different parts, did we talk about that? Or? Yeah. So the ARDS was the one that we just discussed, which was the acute respiratory distress syndrome. And then while I had, was going through that, I had five different types of pneumonia, which in normally people have one system down. They don't live through any of that. Well, I had all my systems down and for some reason my body is still kicking. Well, then all of a sudden I got what they call mucor mold, um, which because of me and somehow getting out from under the car because they found me in the woods, I was so badly burnt that you, these molds are always out there. But because we have this, our strong epidermis of our skin, those molds don't affect you. But when you're burnt that way, they can attack you really badly. You know, and the mucor mold is a serious but rare fungal infection that's caused by a group of molds called uh, mucormorcytes. And these molds live throughout the environment. The fungal disease mainly affects people who have healthy or health problems or take medicines that lower uh, their body's ability to fight germs and right, sickness. Right. Like a, and it commonly affects sinuses, lungs, after inhaling fungal spores from the air. You know, and it affects skin. And the fungus enters the skin through a cut, burn, or other types of skin injuries. Wow. So obviously, you know, me being burnt and 30% of my body burnt below my waist was a big um, yeah, concern yeah. because of that. So in their head, you know, and they helped me a lot. They did an esclerotomy. They went in um, and they tried to clean things up. Then they put grafts on and realized it didn't work. So they had to take the grafts off. So they did this three different times, which is a big reason why they said, you know, I'll never stand or walk. But um, yeah, and so at that point, you know, I have 8% of life. And I was discussing some things with my brother last night. And my uncle had discussed ECMO. And ECMO, you know, it's a technique that provides prolonged cardiac and respiratory support to people who have heart and lungs that aren't able to provide an adequate amount of gas exchange or per perform um, to sustain life. It's mostly used on children, but it's seen more use with adults with cardiac and respiratory failure, especially in treatment of um, vi viral pneumonia, which of course, you know, I have five different five types. Di right. And ECMO works by removing blood from the person's body and artificially removing the carbon dioxide and oxygenating your red blood cells. And it's mainly used uh, um, either post-cardiopulmonary bypass or in late stage treatment of persons with profound heart and l or lung failure. And it's now seeing uh, used for treatments for cardiac arrest in certain centers that allow treatment of underlying causes of arrest while circulation of oxygenation and support. Um, and this was d developed in the 1950s by a gentleman named John Gibbon and then moved on to a gentleman called uh, Walton Lahey. So this was all first used in 1965. Wow, so it's fairly new. Very you know. new. There's two machines in Portland and one mobile. Right. So if I wasn't anywhere near the West Coast, there was no, there'd be no way that I'd be here. Right. Now. And I wanted to touch back on that just because, you know, I mean, the health stuff, 
the walking thing is a bonus. Oh, we for were, sure. You know, and like we want to make that sure. I mean, I mentioned, you know, prosthetics, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But the health stuff was major. Like mm-hmm. this is insane that you you were able to pull through. And none of my doctors, and when they stand up and do these speeches for people and talk about ECMO, I had twelve nurses and three doctors. Every single one of them said there is no reason for you to be here. We never thought you were going to live. Wow. Yeah. Well, what do you think when you hear that? Um, it's weird. It doesn't feel like someone's talking about me. Right. You know, and, and at the point when people were saying those things, well, if my eyes are open and I'm able to see my daughter's picture on the wall that's in front of me, then I'm able to do what I need to do right. to be here for her. So your first steps, let's, let's get into that. Uh, I mean, what was that like when you, Oh, it's un, it's unexplainable. I'm sure because, you know? because physical therapy, if I've never gone through it, but I would imagine, and you know, a lot of the stuff, and we're going to talk about Kobe in a little bit mm-hmm. because there is a link in, in a weird way, but a lot of the stuff we learn about, uh, physical therapy, we learn about sports and athletics and you were an athlete, you were For a big sure. basketball player and stuff. And you know, right. Let's get into that right now. Cause right before. Or how long before you had torn your Achilles? Yeah, I ruptured my Achilles eight months before the accident. And I remember that happened right around the time. And you're a Kobe Bryant fan, which mm-hmm. I, you know, no, no qualms about it. I'm a Celtics fan, so I hated him, but I've always admired him. Yeah, and I'm kind of in the same right. Well, Blazers there. fans, sure. Yeah. But I remember I was cutting your hair at the barber shop, and you had torn your Achilles, and I was like, oh, so you're basically the same as Kobe Bryant. <laughs> you're like exactly the same. We're yeah. the same person, you know. <laughs> and and I remember that because. More or less, the the way that we communicate with each other, what I was trying to say was like, you have that Mamba mentality. And the reason I use that term is because it's so current and people are, are aware what that means. But you knew exactly what I meant when I said that. For sure. And I, I appreciate Right. It. That it was like, instead of, because we're not going to sugarcoat shit for anybody. No, we're no. not those kind of people. So to say something like, well, you're a, a effing badass. That's essentially what I meant. You know, and you knew that right in the moment. Yeah. And, and so... Who knew, who knew a year later that you, after going through all of that physical therapy, because you had to kind of, would you say learn to walk again after an Achilles? I mean, essentially. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. It's a dip- when people say that, is that, is that. The type of physical therapy that you have to do to be able to walk again or to run again. You know, I, right. I ran the Butte to Butte directly after that, you know, after I had ruptured my Achilles. And I think it was, you know, five or six months after that. You know, which wow. they told me I would never be able to do. So do you think that that experience helped you in this process? For of, sure. Of going through that? It's, I mean, you know what? The big thing too, and when people say, oh, you're a badass, I kind of hate, it kind of makes me cringe because I don't want to be that person that's cocky or has this like high, you know, self-esteem or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think that's very humble and I think that's good, but I don't, I have a, a thing that I've decided that the way that I look at things in life, people only should be compared to themselves. You know, period. So for you to drive yourself, that's amazing. And that, so I get what you're saying because Mm -hmm. you don't want to take away from, if other people go through trauma and they're having a hard day, it's okay to have a hard day. That's kind of what you're getting at, correct? Well, and it just, it comes down to what I was really discussing the other day with a family member's perseverance. Yeah, yeah. You know, perseverance is something that you either, you have or you really don't have. You know, it's that give up or you're never going to give up. Sure. You know, and the perseverance to me and that will that you have in your body is more than just like that. I'm a badass and I can do this. It's, it's there. There's down, there's downsides too of the perception from family of being a badass, because also that means that they downplay the significance of what you're going. Most definitely. (laughs) You know, they're like, Oh, you're, you're tough. And you're like, dude, I have 
sleepless nights. I'm crying. I'm cursing God. You know, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, so there, I'm sure that there's that element of it, but I get what you're saying about trying to be humble. And I think that that's, that's good. It's really good. But I'm sure that when you're reaching into yourself, it's not, you're not, you're not worried about anyone else at that point. No, so. no, no. But I do want to set a good example for people that have gone through things myself and that didn't make it. And for those families, you know, and right. not to just sound like, you know, this sure. is some heroic thing. And I'm no, and that's super... really, that's really honorable. Cause I remember during the Thurston shooting and it's a much different issue. But during the Thurston shooting, people were saying, like, I guess it wasn't my time. And I'm like, eh, that's kind of that's fucked up to say, like, excuse my language, but it, to say that, like, it was the other people's time. You know what I mean? And obviously in this situation, you know, you had lost your good friend. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure that there's times where you 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 have to live with that as well. Yeah. You know, that, that you're like, why me? Why, me? why wasn't it me or, or whatever? And That was the uh, hardest part of all of it. Not the uh, going through... The 17 surgeries in three months and then four surgeries when I came out of the coma the hardest part was when I came out of the hospital and I was you know a month later or so when I was going to go out into public and my family had to tell me you know that the person that was in my in the vehicle um didn't make it didn't make it you know right and that's got to be tough and then you gotta you know and their family and they're they have to grieve their own process and it cause you know causes rifts, not rifts, but just uh, difficult, you mm-hmm. know, reality. That's tough. So, uh, I you know that I wonder if that really did. Like I had said before, I wonder how much that that experience that you went through with your Achilles. I wonder. I mean, it's almost like that ended up being a blessing. For sure. You know? Well, it just taught me some of that perseverance. Where, especially at the time too, where they're telling me I can't go back to work for eight months when I have a child. And a partner at home that isn't back to work. So it was uh, in two months, I had a boot on and I just told my surgeon, I'm going back to work. Right. And that's, what kind of work? Doing bartending? I was bartending at Mozzie's Italian restaurant. And they're just like... And managing. Right. And they're just like, okay. I mean, obviously... They, they saw I could do it and they said, you know, if you think you can do it, you know, we'll, we'll let you. And they're also, you know, family to me, so... Sure. And they... I mean, it's almost like they can't stop you because it's... It's your sense of purpose, you know, totally. you know, to be active and all that good stuff. Um, what are some of your goals now that now that you're, you know, actually speak on your mobility? I mean, how much are you able to get around? Um, at this moment, um, we've changed from another socket and just kind of part of the game. Um, the first socket I had, I was basically to where I was able to walk without any um, forearm crutches. Um, and so from a one to a ten, I was walking around a six. And then I got my new socket a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm at it like a level two. You know, I'm wow. using one forearm crutch, and prior to this Wednesday, it wasn't fitting properly. It leaves a lot of bruises and marks. Wow, it's frustrating Cause you, because because you, I don't know if we had said this, you had an amputation above the knee. Pretty- well, first it was below the knee. Okay. And then uh, you know the muscles and tendons weren't coming pr- together properly. So then they did when I woke up on my birthday, they did the uh, amputation above the knee. Wow. And then, so, I mean, you had sent, said this to me before we hit record, what walking entails, like what that takes and explain that a little bit about how you have to use kind of your hip more. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, you know, the, the first socket they gave me because of being an above the knee amputee, they have this socket right on your osseal bone. So you're basically riding the leg around. Now the new socket that I have is a triathlete socket for running and riding bikes, which I will be doing. Um, 
but it also entails you using all of your glute muscles, your leg muscles, rather than riding this piece of equipment around like it's like it is a bike or something sure, like that. Sure. So now it's all has to do with these muscles that I have that I'm very lucky to have. And you had said that when you initially uh, the doctor you'd moved. Tell me about that again. Yeah. So I um, the muscles that are in uh, above the knee amputees, like a lot of the times when they tie it up, they don't really work. And weirdly enough, mine um, are very flexible. So I can flex the leg up in the middle and down, which is extraordinarily awesome as above the knee amputee, which I didn't know at all until I'm sitting there next to my prosthesis. And he's like, oh, so you can move some muscles. Let me see him. And as soon as I moved my leg up, he basically yelled like, oh, my God. And to me, I'm like, you know what, what, you know, what's going on? But to him, it was like amazing because he hadn't ever in 25 years seen that. Wow. And so for me being like, oh, this is just normal to me. And I've been doing my workouts and physical therapy. But now it's something that I can actually work with and use to my advantage. And I'm learning about it as, you know, as well. Sure. And then, yeah, that's got to be. An interesting feeling and probably pretty rewarding, though, when they're like, I've never seen this. And it's a good thing. Yeah. You know? Well, not I mean, only have they never seen that, but it's just my skin. You know, they said that it was the one of the worst burns they've seen in 37 years. Right. So now you're trying to put a prosthetic on top of skin. That's sensitive. That is, that's so burnt. Yeah, yeah. You know, when normally, you know, you know, people, a lot of people that have diabetes go through these above your knee amputations. And they're walking pretty quick because they don't they don't have those burns. Right. You know, and, and that's a really hard part of all of this with me. Where, I, you know, I've thought that, you know, I can, I can walk here and I'm going to be able to run it this time. But my skin is holding me back. My mind's there. Sure. But that's, that's the big problem now that I actually can't. I can't make it stronger. I can't beat that part because that's just the way it's going to be. And then, it, you know, it takes, it, it takes time and then some of it will never repair fully, right? And I mean, it's basically fully repaired. So at this yeah. moment, it's just working with what I have. And um, that's frustrating. You know, it's yeah. definitely brought me to some low places, but... My daughter, and then going and seeing my process, we're good buddies now. Right. And I just, I go in there upset and frustrated, and I leave very happy, and like, there's all this hope of well, the future, awesome. and it's, it's so it gives, is awesome. That gives us a chance to kind of touch back on the question I was going to ask. So, what are some of your goals? I mean, you had talked about riding a bike. And yeah, ride- no, I'm going to be racing bikes. I'm going to be competing in um, running again. You know, I'll do the butte to butte. I'm going to do as many runs as I possibly can, whether I'm first, second, third, or last. It doesn't matter to me. It's just about being able to do that and show my daughter, you know, that you can go through all these things and still get up and still do the same things that we used to do before. Right. You know, and then not just the biking and things like that. You know, I I was being hired by Builders Electric right before. So I was an electrician. Sure. And I could go back to that. You know, it's awesome that they've offered me my job back. Yeah. But I've also looked going through this prosthetic part and the people, the technicians that I've worked with. And the prosthetists that I've worked with, they've never been through what I've been. Yeah, no yeah. one understands. Yeah. Even myself, I don't understand it fully. But no one's ever been through what I've been through, so they can't really tell me. But to be able to sit there and to help other people right. that have been in my situation, and they see that I'm in there. So I'm actually focusing more on becoming a prosthetic technician. Right. You know, And I would really like to work for Barnhart. I've been in there and been able to talk with them. So when I'm able to get back to work, that's going to be my focus is to use what I've been given and help other people out as well that are in that situation. Which is awesome because the people, you know, I mean, I know that anytime anybody goes through a certain thing, some people that have gone through a similar experience, it becomes sort of a club to where it's like, you know, we know, like you just said, the doctors, they've never been through that. And so the passion that they have 
is there, but mm-hmm. the optimism that you can share and inspire oh, yeah. is, well, is that's, huge. That's the thing too. What I really want to focus on while doing these jobs or while being a prosthetic technician is also doing inspirational speaking Sure. and speaking for people and families that, you know, that their loved ones didn't make it through ECMO and to go and sit there in these slideshows that put up of me in the hospital and then now me standing on stage and being able to discuss these things and not even just that, just like the mental health coming yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. hospital, looking at people sitting there in their wheelchairs that have been told that they're never going to be able to do this, but can see me and I can help them get out of that wheelchair. And that's a part, you know, because it sounds, I mean, obviously your attitude has stayed very positive, but speak a little more about the mental health part, because that part cannot be as, I mean, it's, I'm sure there was days where it was. Oh, and, for and sure. Continue to be days where it's just a giant mountain. Oh, know, for sure. You know? For sure. But you can't let yourself get down because that just creates a big hole, you know, right. that you're going to have to climb out of later. And I like to put it in a way where, you know, you see these people begging on the side of the street. And a lot of people look at them and they say, well, that guy's probably a drug addict or this or that. What you don't understand is that a lot of people that are in a hospital that go through some horrific things, when they go to get out of the hospital, there's not. You know, I have, I'm lucky to have an amazing family and, and friends and this huge circle that supports me. Well, what about these people that don't have family? And they right. come out and they're given all these drugs and then they just don't have any push or direction and they don't have a home. Well, and, and disability, know, if, if, I mean, this is the crazy thing because disability does not come the next day. No. Like the, I'm saying disability checks. Oh, yeah. Well, and they told me, you know, eventually you'll heal so you don't need disability. I said, you know, I really don't think that my leg is going to grow back. Yeah. Seriously. You know, I would hope that, hope so, but it's not Maybe you're part salamander. I don't know. But hey, hey, hey. No, but uh, yeah, that's insanity that, you know, because we had talked about this a little bit off air too, that with disability from, from the state or whatnot, they basically just, they fight any way not to mm. cover somebody that's under 50. Exactly. You know, almost 90% of people will be denied if they're under that age. And I mean, I had to get Peter DeFazio on my side. Wow. And he's been doing a lot of work for me, um, which luckily, you know, I got an attorney and nine months to a year from now is when they probably would have had a hearing. And then they give me disability. Then it's going to take another six months before I receive any of it. How did you, what do you mean you got him on your side? How, how did that work? Um, just contacted um, one of his secretaries, let him know what I was doing. I mean, he paid my rent. He paid my e-web bill for Seriously. at least four months. I have endorsed his opponent. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna well, put that, that out there. Now, yeah, yeah, but, no, and I. But we have to that. say that that uh, Defazio is a good man, you know. Yeah, and you know, and I didn't really know a whole lot about this. My mom did a lot of studying, and she's she's been that person that's been there for me since I've been out of the hospital. Sure. That's kind of been my manager with all of this. And I'm sure that her being busy is how she's processed it. Huh. You know, because a, a lot of times when you're dealing with with tragedy, I know that when my mom died, that me being busy and active was what pushed me through for sure. You know, because I was like, you know, my, my brother and I both, there's just the two of us. And when she passed, I was like, I'm going to, I mean, I, within like 20, 30 minutes of finding out, I was already on the phone with the, the phone company canceling her cell phone. Cause I'm like, why create more of a bill? I mean, just dealing with things was how I, I dealt with yeah. that process. And that's just one example. But so I'm sure that with your mom, that that's kind of what helped her. Well, and there was a whole lot to deal with. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and, and not only, I mean, it's stressful, but at the same time, sometimes that compartmentalizing that task at hand is actually something that's rewarding and gives you, yeah. gives you something to, to focus on, not just the grief. When the hospital is supposed to give you somebody who directs you, that helps you out to, with that mental health aspect. And, you know, with everything that's going on and them never thinking I was going to live, 
they forgot to do a lot of things. Oh, wow. Which, you know, I'm alive. They were just ecstatic, like, what, what? This guy isn't living? So the director who was supposed to direct me through all these things never showed. So my mom was the person who did that. Wow. Which I'm very, very lucky for. Yeah. You know? So hopefully all that goes good. I mean, with the disability, you, you'd mentioned a little bit, too, that you've gotten some good news recently. Well, I should be getting it any day now. Right. Yeah. So you said you wanted to do some... Uh, uh, public speaking about this, what steps are you going to take to, no pun intended? Um, yeah, well, no, I've discussed with my doctors, my 12 nurses, and they really helped me, you know, and the machine ECMO, you know, that basically, you know, had that, that saved my life. That's what I want to discuss is these, you know, these machines that other people don't have around the United States. And why don't you have these? Especially with the coronavirus. And they're using ECMO with the majority of these patients which wow. is helping them which is something that i wanted to talk about because the coronavirus going just sure crazy and yeah how many deaths have been happening and this machine is helping save lives in that aspect you know and why don't these other um, hospitals have this machine right you know and it's something that i really want to talk about especially for other families that have had their you know family members in a hardcore respiratory issue you know or blood flow issue or their red blood cells are not working properly, and they just don't have that. So there isn't that like savior there, right? You know, they just didn't. They never had a chance. Yeah, I like that you mentioned. You know, seeing the person on the side of the street because I'm sure that this gave you. I would be that person yeah. if I didn't have my family. Yeah, I, and th I mean that's a, a huge issue that humanity is something that we're lacking in this society for and, sure, and. You know, the issue, obviously, of the homelessness and stuff is housing, and everyone wants to make it something else, you know? Yeah. And there's, so, I, I like that you kind of mentioned that and how people perceive each other, like there's some kind of, they don't yeah. know the story, you know? That's going to be a big thing that I want to discuss, you know? When I do these speeches, of course, I'm going to discuss what they want me to. And the, sure. What, but at the end, I want to really focus on that mental health, you know? And e even years later. You know, like looking for, at a child that's sitting there and they told him he's never going to walk. He's never going to do these things that he loved. But really, all he needs is that spark. Right. You know, and someone like myself that can say, you know, you can, if I can do it, you definitely can do it. Yeah. You know. And, and that's why, I mean, with, I can't even begin to imagine your medical bills. You know, oh, you know, it's $4.6 million. Yeah. And this is why Medicare for All is something I support because of mental and dental. Yeah. You know, those are the, the areas. The number one bankruptcy in the world is medical. Right. And so, I mean, this is, that's a whole different, we could be here for days talking oh, about that sure. nonsense. So hopefully the legal, you know, the the uh, disability and all that stuff, it, it gets straight for you. It sounds like it's going in a good direction. I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, sure. Like you said that, well, yeah, I don't think my leg's going to regrow, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. So, um, Dan, this is really an honor for you to talk about this a little bit. It's been an honor to be here, man. It's really cool to hear people tell their personal story. And I was hesitant to ask you, I mean, not, not that hesitant because I've known you, but I knew, you know, the reason I love doing this show is that shows like this, human interest stories, it gives you a platform that sometimes people like your loved ones, your mom or whoever can, can go back and they can listen to it and hear a different perspective because... The wheels get turning when you're telling them directly. You know, there's so much emotion that they themselves went through and are For going sure. and are going through mm -hmm. that this is a cool. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that 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 this, that this would the platform would give that. And then Blair, when she came on and talked about her uh, experience of being homeless, and she told me that her family had 
had listened to it and that it was it, it really changed their perspective and I thought that was really cool. I mean I think yours is, is a different story completely and people are incredibly proud of you, but I think like what I had touched on before about how sometimes they might overlook the struggle that you've gone through. You know, because they're like, Oh you're a badass. You're yeah, fine. Yeah. You're fine. So Dan, it's a real honor. Thank you. Uh you know, I'm in, I'm gonna be interested to see the progress that you make and Anytime somebody becomes a guest on my show, one of the things that's cool is that you become part of the community of the Spent the Rent podcast. I like and it. I so love to what, come back down the road. Yeah, so you can come back on. And I'm also going to make sure on Facebook to share some of your story because you'll be posting pictures of the 5Ks and the and the racing and all the different things you're going to yes, do. Yes, sir. So that's really cool. So if you're listening to this, a uh, couple things. I want to make sure that you go and you follow the Facebook page for the Spent the Rent podcast. Also follow my title sponsor, which is Oregon Cashflow Pro. And a big new revelation is, is I'm officially going for it. Self-esteem, but Willie is retiring. And so I'm going to be making a new album. I'm currently about now 25% of the way done uh, under the name Patty Rose. As you've, if you've been listening to this show a lot, you've been hearing me kind of drop that and go back and forth with it, but it's official now. And my new single, The Rose, a cover, Bette Midler cover song is, uh, <laughs> it's a fun version is on Spotify and Apple Music and all that good stuff. The link is in the show notes of this show um, uh, where you can listen to the Spotify playlist. And so I'm going to give you guys a treat and we're going to end it with my song. This is me, Patty Rose with The Rose. Dan, thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Some say love It is a river That drowns the reed Some say love It is a razor That leaves Your soul to bleed Some say love need I say love it is a flower and you it's only seed it's the heart It's the one who
Love, love. 